Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. Through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a very good friend of mine, and I'm really excited to have him here today. And for you all, this is going to be a real treat. He is the president of ASI, Asset Strategies International, and I've had the privilege of working alongside him for several paid webinar presentations. He is a contributing author to my magazine, Escape Artist Insiders, and he was a speaker and a sponsor of our recent Offshore Summit. Through all of this, our audience has loved his wealth of knowledge and got great value from listening to him. Today, I am sure it will be no different. He is one of the most well-informed people I know in the world on the precious metals industry, and I often consult with him on what is happening in this space. Please welcome to the show, Rich Checkin. Rich, how are you? I'm doing great, Mikhail. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Rich, why don't we start by kind of giving us a little bit of a backstory, how you got working with ASI, how you got working with Precious Metals. I'm super interested to hear. Absolutely. Uh, and it's not a uh, it's not a route you want to take if you're planning your uh, career as a, as a high school or college student. I uh, initially went into the military. I was graduated of, the West, Point, of uh, West Point, United States Military Academy in the U.S. I was a walk-on playing soccer there, and I was a pre-med chemistry major. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do with my life until I got into that world and I enjoyed being in the military. I wanted to be a leader, so I chose to go infantry. Uh, And uh, I was stationed in Hawaii, Korea, Georgia. And after about six and a half years, I left the service as a captain and had no plan other than I wanted to go into sales. So I started doing some direct sales in Macon and Atlanta, Georgia area. And in the end, uh, I got a phone call from my uncle, Michael Checkin, who with his partner 
partner, Glenn Kerr, started Asset Strategies in 1982. So they called me about 1985, 1986, uh, end of 85, beginning of 86, and said, we wanted to expand and we needed somebody we can trust. Would you be interested? And I showed up not knowing anything about gold or silver, except AU and AG on the periodic chart. Uh, but I, I knew that they were successful business people. I knew that they had a reason for doing what they were doing and I was uh, open-minded uh, enough to come and, and check it out. And I'm so glad I did after uh, 25 years. And maybe you can jump in a little bit on the story of how ASI started, because I remember reading about it, and I don't know if it was on your blog or one of the articles you contributed from my newsletter or the magazine, but the actual story of how ASI formed is super interesting, and I, really, I think it really highlights a lot of important points that people should know and understand. No, that's a good point. It's it's basically, it's an epiphany. It's uh, what Glenn and Michael realized and it led to the starting of this company. They, they had both worked for a company called Deke Pereira. It was at the time, so this is 70s, 80s. It was the uh, largest non-banking precious metals and foreign currency dealer in the world. Our largest and oldest, I believe, because of the Deke Pereira name. And, uh, you know, they both worked there for, for a number of years for, for uh, Nick Deke, who built a worldwide empire of banking and precious metals and foreign currency exchanges. And they, they learned the business, uh, but it really came down to 1975 when the Vietnamese refugees were uh, coming into this country, uh, relocating once Saigon fell. And I think you probably can remember those photos or the, the video of helicopters on the tops of buildings taking people out of uh, Saigon as the North overran it. So they came to five different internment camps here in the U.S. One of them was Eglin Air Force Base, and that's where Glenn and Michael went. They, uh, Deke Pereira had the contract from the State Department to do the metals and currency exchange at these five camps, uh, assimilating the uh, Vietnamese refugees. And they flew down to Eglin Air Force Base with a couple million dollars worth of cash in a briefcase uh, and a bottle of acid in between their legs on a flight, on a commercial flight. You can't do that these days, clearly. Uh, I think TSA might have something to say about that. But they basically went down there, and, and these cities built up from zero to 10,000 people where they were coming into the country from Vietnam. And, you know, two types of people. They both worked very hard. They both uh, did the right things, and they both saved their money. But the uh, the one typical person, a uh, refugee, basically kept all their money in Vietnamese piastres. So that was the, the Vietnamese banknotes of the day. Um, other folks basically take their piastres and instead of just holding them in that form, they converted them to precious metals, gemstones, things of this nature. Um, as they came in to the country, they tried to convert those piastres, the one, the one type of refugee. And what they found out is once Saigon fell, and the South Vietnam no longer existed. Uh, the currency, the paper that it was printed on was completely worthless, all right? There was nothing backing that paper. So the, the, they'd worked their whole lives basically for nothing. Uh, and then they were starting a new life in a new land, strange land with nothing from square one. The folks that had converted that wealth to real tangible assets like precious metals and gemstones uh, and thin sheets of gold called TAE, LS tails um, were able to transfer their wealth across borders. Granted, they started the new lives in a, in a new place, a new strange land. 
land, but they didn't have to go back to square zero. They can start out wherever they were and move forward from there. And that was the lesson that Glenn and Michael realized that we call that the tail, T-A-L-E, of the tails, the thin sheets of gold. And it's the epiphany that led to us starting ASI. And no matter where you are in this world, how comfortable or, or uncomfortable you may feel, um, precious metals are a very, in fact, gold is a, an important piece of your overall portfolio for those emergencies that you hope you never have. Well, it's a parable in that it teaches a lesson, but it really happened. And as a starting for a company, I just think it is so brilliant because there's, there is so many things to learn from that. And, you know, people always think or believe that, you know, it's not going to happen to them. It's not going to happen to their country, to their government. It, it might happen on the other side of the world, but it would never happen here. And it might have happened a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, but it doesn't happen in this generation. And I think by this, you can actually see it, it did happen, it does happen, and it will happen again. So I think that this is, is super, super powerful. So, so thank you for sharing that. Mikhail, that's such an important point. If I could just elaborate. I mean, you talk about it can't happen now in this environment. Look at Zimbabwe. Um, You know, look at Venezuela. Uh, You know, it can happen. It is happening. And, you know, in the U.S., we, we, you know, I think we are lulled to sleep here that we have, you know, weak, friendly neighbors to the north and south. We have have oceans left and right. And, you know, the dollar is the world's reserve currency, I might add, for now. Um, You know, there have been other currencies that ruled the world, you know, uh, uh, Greece, Italy, you know, Great Britain, etc. Um, you know, who's to say the dollar's the last? Uh, I don't, not the way we're managing it. So, you know, it, it can happen and it's best to be prepared for it. Well, and I don't want this to turn into a history lesson by any means, but any, any guess or any insight how long we've been using gold as a medium of exchange, Rich? Uh, thousands of years. I mean, millennia. Um, Many people have heard the story. If if I'm uh, talking about something that everybody knows about, I apologize. But, you know, I always go back to the the little tale of, you know, back in Roman times, an ounce of gold bought a new toga, business suit of the day. In uh, 1900s, you know, 1913, when the Fed was uh, created, uh, an ounce of gold, $18, bought a nice new business suit of the day. Today, uh, at $1,800 an ounce, uh, you can buy a nice new business suit, but can you buy one for eighteen dollars? You know, gold has it's for thousands upon thousands of years. It has uh, held its value, held its purchasing power. That's what it does, and that's why you need it. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners know how I feel about precious metals. And considering you've dedicated the last 25 years of your life to it, I'm sure they can guess yours as well. So, so I don't want to make this too much about. Uh, and convincing is probably not the best word um, about owning precious metals. Let's 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 skip a lot of that stuff. You know, let's jump in and and make an assumption that people also who are listening to this also understand the importance of precious metals in the industry. I want to dig into what is happening in the world right now with precious metals because we've seen, you know, it's an election year. We've had war with China, like. Um, Price wars with China, um, maybe soon, who knows? Uh, bullets wars with China. There's a lot fingers of fingers crossed, hopefully fing- not. Fingers crossed, trust me, there's no one in the world who wants not this less than anybody. I do. You know, um, but things are not looking good at the moment. Things are not looking good. And I hope that people will take a step back and, and understand. But I want to know 
kind of what your opinion, how does gold fit into all of this with coronavirus, with uh, China, with all these different things? Is, is gold a good buy right now? Is it a bad buy? What, is, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, my thought is this, uh, as long as you're buying it for the right reason, there is no such thing as the wrong time or the wrong price to buy gold. So get that off the table right off the bat. Um, we, gold is needed in your portfolio. But right now, in the past year, we've seen some incredible dynamics going on with world economies, with uh, money, with world's only real money gold. Um, you know, a lot of people feel that the coronavirus uh, early 2019 is what triggered the breakout uh, and the emergence of a gold rally. And it's just a reaction to, you know, an emergency situation. But uh, I think, you know, and, and many people as well know that the reality is May of 2019 um, is when gold broke out. It had been in a consolidation phase after coming off of all-time highs in 2011. Uh, it came back, um, or, or it, it consolidated for about three years, and then it broke out in May of 2019. Silver went with it initially and then backed off. Uh, as we often see, gold will be your trendsetter before silver follows. And, you know, over the past year, gold has had fits and starts, moving up, dropping back, moving up, dropping back, just like any healthy market would do. The coronavirus kind of jump-started it early 2020 in terms of it didn't start gold's bull market, but I certainly think it pushed it further and faster than it would have gone on its own, my personal opinion. So it threw um, some gas on the fire. It absolutely did. And for, for that reason, a lot of folks, and, and I think there's some credibility here, they, they actually think you might see a bit of a pullback because you know, in one year, We've gone from the desert for precious metals. I mean, the sentiment was so low. The prices were, what, six, $700 below uh, all-time highs. Um, nobody cared about gold. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in one year, we're $100 off all-time highs. Um, that's a pretty fast move. Um, and I dare say not sustainable. Any market that moves it up that rapidly probably has to come back and do a little correcting before it goes higher. So I do think there's a possibility you can see a bit of a pullback here in gold. What's interesting to me is, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about that, is how silver is is following and, and now catching up and outpacing gold on the upside in terms of percentages. And that's typical of a precious metals bull market. Uh, gold's your leader. It moves up or down first. And then once that trend is established, and it has been at this point, silver starts to catch up either to the upside or to the downside, and it outpaces typically in both directions. Well, I remember I started talking and writing extensively on precious metals about, I want to say about 24, 26 months ago. And about 30 months ago, I started to get out of equities and start to talk, call the top. Now, I was a little bit early on calling the top for equities. I, I underestimated how crazy the market could go. But I think for precious metals, I was right on time. I gave our, my listeners and my subscribers enough time to get in before we saw the run-up. But, but what do you think? Do you think we've, we've seen the top of the run-up? Do you think that the bull market has just started now? Like, what's, what's your insight towards this for time frame? 
Yeah, I guess my point is I wouldn't be scared. You know, whether we see a pullback before we go higher or it just keeps moving up, um, I'm not scared to be buying here. Uh, in this bull market, I'm buying on the dips. So every time we see a little bit of a pullback, uh, I'm I'm buying and adding to the position if need be to fill my allocation. Um, we're only $100 off all-time highs as we speak, um, but uh, I think we're going to go well above that. So I, I don't think you're anywhere near, um, you know, the top of this market. And, you know, I think you know me, Mikel, I, I like gold for insurance. If I don't have my insurance in place, I'm buying it. I think the premium's cheap here. Uh, I like silver more for profit, and I think there's great potential there. Well, I want to dig into silver very heavily, but let's stay with this thread for yeah. for a minute longer. So talk to me about the insurance then. So if someone doesn't understand what you mean by using gold as an insurance or as a hedge, can maybe you can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, we just saw actually a perfect example of this taking place. And I, I can't tell you how many people called up in March as the stock market fell, as gold fell initially and said, Rich, what's going on? Gold's not doing its job. And I had to tell him, you know what? It's exactly doing its job. Sit back and watch and understand it. Um, when you, you, you buy gold uh, as a store of purchasing power in a very liquid form with high liquidity for a potential financial crisis you hope you never have. And what we saw in March is the financial crisis that we all hoped we ne would ever have. The coronavirus hit, economy shut down, stock market started selling off, and a lot of these folks were leveraged, right? So they had taken out loans to double up on their position and their equities. Uh, and then all of a sudden the, the market dropped, they were uh, facing margin calls, et cetera, and precious metals, gold specifically, some silver, were the only assets people had that were liquid enough that, that they weren't living in, right, that they could pull money out to meet margin calls and stop the bleeding and move on. So what you'll typically find in, in some sort of uh, economic uh, crisis is the market and gold will initially sell off. And then almost immediately gold doesn't about face as People have sold off, met their margin requirements. Um, then others move in and they realize gold shouldn't have sold off and the price is cheap and we see bargain hunters move in. Gold's usually the first thing to recover and it happens quickly, usually within weeks, you know, not, not months or years. So that's exactly what happened in March. Everything started selling off. Gold did its job uh, for the people that needed it and then immediately it recovered. And, uh, uh, you know, you look at the stats for the year, you can see that gold is uh, going forward in, in the stock market for the most part you know, throughout the NASDAQ uh, has been moving down. Well, and then you can think that April 1st was the very first day that there was millions of people who were not getting a paycheck and not being able to pay their rent on time. So a lot of people are going to be locking in the gains that gold had had and turning that into something that they can pay their bills with. Absolutely. It was their nest egg, right? They, yeah, they exactly. were putting aside however many months worth of cash they thought they needed to make it. And who knows still what that is? I mean, we don't know yet. But then when you turn around and look at the stock market, a lot of people are not going to want to lock in the losses that they experience, you know, selling off mutual funds, selling off equities, selling off bonds and things like this. You know, we saw such a massive drop all at once 
um, in these types of portfolios, I think that's a psychological barrier for a lot of people as well. They, they hold on to the losers and they want to sell the winners. You know, they want to get those gains while they can and, uh, and they let the bad ones rule, which is, you know... The opposite of what you should be doing. <laughs> it's the opposite of what you should do, but, you know, you have to understand human psychology at the same time, you know? Like, we're, we are not machines and, and you have to understand the psychology and the mentality of the marketplace and how they react to, to situations. Of course, you know, and, and nobody wants a panic either. So you're hearing a lot of the guidance is, you know, just stay invested, stay in for the long haul, don't book your losses, you know, uh, the market will recover over time, stay invested, you know, and, and the bottom line, stay invested in value. Right. Uh, if if you're holding something that's not holding value, then maybe it's time to move on. Uh, Michael's uh, dearly departed uh, uh, partner, Glenn Kirsch, always used to say, holding on to a bad investment doesn't make it a good one. Yeah, like I wouldn't be wanting to hold on to uh, to Delta or American Airlines and things like that right now. Um, you know, or a lot of the theme parks or the uh, cruise ships yeah. or anything like that, like just because they were at a certain price six months ago doesn't mean that they're going to come back to that price anytime soon. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the world's going to look like when we come back and it's, you know, fully, fully, uh, involved once again. Um, I think, uh, travel's going to be down. I think, uh, dining's going to be down all sorts of entertainment, you know, sports theater, you name it. Um, conferences, physical conferences. I know, uh, you, you we did the virtual one for, for escape artist. I think that's where a lot of people are going there. You know, the job market's not going to be the same. A lot of jobs that people used to go in and hang their hat and go to their desk, uh, they're going to be working from home um, by choice. So things are going to be different. And, and I think, uh, where you put your money is the folks that figure out what that new normal, if you will, is going to be, uh, sooner than others. Well, I hear it all the time. Oh, well, when things go back to normal, it will be like this. It's like, darling, nothing is going back to normal. We, we have seen a, this, we have seen a monumental, uh, like point, like this will go down in history and there will be before this and after this pre-coronavirus, post-coronavirus, and, and don't expect things to go back to normal because it just won't. I'm not saying that things are not going to get better. They will get better. I'm very hopeful. I'm very optimistic. However, the world has changed, and you need to be ready for that. If you try to hold on to what was there before, you're going to have a very difficult time going forward. I 100% agree. We're all changed um, as a result of this, and, you know, Change is good, you know. Uh, we we evolve, you know. So we'll figure out how to how to go forward from here. I'm certain of that. Um, I 100% believe in the human spirit and, and ingenuity, and and I I just can't tell you what it's going to be when we're when we get to the other side. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit then about another challenge that we faced around this time, and that was the the fabrication of the metal itself. Uh, for people to purchase, because this was a challenge that I didn't see coming, that I didn't, I didn't uh, expect. But it, it is really interesting what happened. Yeah. So basically, if you think about it, you know, you pull raw gold, raw silver, what have you, out of the ground, it goes to a refiner, uh, it gets brought up to the right level of purity, and then somebody, some sort of mint, usually a government mint, but it could be private as well, has to make it into coins and bars, which is the form that investors like you and I buy and hold on to. 
whether it be directly, you know, shipped to our doorstep or held in some sort of storage uh, relationship domestically or abroad, it's minted. Uh, and that's the that's the product we consume. Now that's a business, and and guess what? Mints had you know to deal with coronavirus too. So, <laughs> what's happening is um, you know they cut down on the number of people that were coming to work on a daily basis and the shifts they had, you know, to to wipe down things in between this, that, and the other. You know, just like we're doing everywhere else. So it, it cut productions tremendously at exactly the same point in time where demand was skyrocketing. So everybody was that reaction to, to COVID, whether it be for, you know, uh, a margin call or, or building your nest egg for the future. Uh, people were, were um, you know, trying to, to buy up metals at bargain basement prices once they fell. So we saw that demand surge right after it initially fell. And the mints could make not nearly as much in terms of volume as they used to. And let's face it, prior, um, so they were producing less than what they were prior and, and what they were producing prior was enough to satisfy demand when nobody cared about gold, right? So let's put that in perspective too. They were coming from a low point and then they produced even less as the demand surged. So what happens is, you know, it was hard to find coins and bars. Um, and, you know, you, you got to tell people that, listen, the world's not out of gold. It wasn't a shortage of gold. It was a shortage of minted gold and bars and coins that people buy. As a result, premiums went through the roof. You know, for an example, a silver eagle. Um, normally, that's going to be about 15, 10 to 15% premium for a silver eagle. Uh, they were selling at 45 plus percent premiums. So half of every dollar just went to premium. Well, because when I saw the I saw the dip in and silver is a perfect example. So I, I saw the dip in silver and, and we went down to like fourteen or something like that. And I was like, score, I am buying just a ton of silver. I went out to buy like five hundred uh, silver eagles and the price was like exactly the same. And I was like, What? Like the price of silver has gone down, but the price of silver eagles has not gone down. And I, and I checked maple leaves and I checked um, kangaroos and I checked everything. And it was like all the same around the world. And so then I started messaging you and getting on the phone with you. And I'm like, what's going <laughs> what's on? What's going on? This isn't right. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I want to I want more. I want to, I want to, what, what do you call those? A mega box or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Monster box. Monster box. Yeah, 500 silver eagles. Yeah. So. so I wanted to buy a monster box and then... Um, but then I couldn't get the prices that I actually wanted, which was such a shame. And then, you know, since the premium has come down, but guess what? Yeah. The price has gone up. So right now exactly. you're probably paying <laughs> about the same again. <laughs> so, yeah. Unfortunate, but so it was like that buying opportunity wasn't kind of, well, at least what I had hoped for my own portfolio, but I don't know. Okay. We're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything 
about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. Were there, are there, like, were there slash are there good deals to be had out there in the precious metals industry at the moment? Yeah, there there are. And and, and I think, uh, you know, we've discussed this on and off over the past uh, six months to a year. You know, whenever you get um, that kind of a... a crunch on on fabricated coins and bars and the premiums going skyward there are other vehicles out there you know we've we've talked about um perth mint certificates so that's uh something we helped the perth mint design 20 years ago um and it's a way of buying precious metals without paying the fabrication fees um and not paying ongoing storage so all you're paying is a small premium above the spot gold or silver price. Uh, so instead of paying at the time 45% over spot for one ounce of silver, um, you could pay two and a quarter percent above spot. So that program is, is an option in times like those, um, but it doesn't solve the problem for those that want physical delivery, those that want it on their doorstep, um, because guess what? you fabricate at the Perth Mint like anywhere else and they were running through the same issues. So if you wanted physical coins delivered or bars delivered, you were going to run into those issues. Um, another place is just having a good dealer with a good reputation, you know, uh, and, and making it clear to them what you're, what you're looking for. So um, if we have a client that's looking to sell, because uh, they need the money and we have another client looking to buy that type of material, we can marry them up and, you know, pay the one a little bit more than we normally could have and pay or charge the other one a little bit less than we normally could have. So there are deals like that you can find from time to time. Uh, but, you know, there's there's different ways of skinning the cat and it's really situational. So you, you just got to keep up a good relationship and see what's available at the time you're ready to buy or so. Well, and I think you touched on a really important point at the end there. Um, I have a ton of people who want to get into precious metals for the very first time, and they go out there to do it and just think it's going to be the same as, I don't know, buying a stock or buying a mutual fund, you know, you know, just opening your brokerage account and buying, uh, you know, an equity. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and I, I do want to get into to portfolio allocation and your, your opinion of this. Yeah. But I mean, yes, you could probably buy an ETF or something like that that might... Uh, be based on gold and silver, but often to get physical gold and silver, you need to have that existing relationship. And especially at a time when the fabrication goes down, my assumption would be you guys were probably selling to your best clients first and new clients last. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, not exactly. I mean, the, the bottom line is, uh, you know, as people call, we delivered. There was never a period where we couldn't get material. Material could always be gotten for a price, right? Um, so it's more what someone is willing to pay for it then. Yeah, and in some okay. cases, the delays. I remember there was a silver shortage back in the summer of 2015, and and one of our friends at the time had promoted very heavily 90% junk silver, right? So pre-1960, 65 U.S. quarters, dimes, and half dollars that were 90% silver uh, in composition. So it's a popular way of owning divisible silver, if you will, unless there's a shortage. So we were in a position at that time, so this is material that they don't make anymore. There's only so much of it out there, and it's only bought and sold through the secondary market. And if the market is stagnant, for a long period of time, there's no new material because there's only two things that make people sell that material. It's either the price going up or going down. A change in price causes them to do something, right? Um, and it sat in the same position for a long time. So there was no new secondary junk silver on the market and therefore it was short and it was hard to come by. So a friend of ours had promoted it. And whereas we used to be able to sell it at four to 6% over spot to the client with immediately delivery. So if you, you paid us with a wire that went out the next day on its way to you. Um, at this time, summer 2015, uh, because of the shortage, uh, the terms were this. It's gonna cost 45 to 50% over spot. You have to pay me immediately with a wire. I'm not sure when I can ship it to you, but it's going to be a bare minimum of eight weeks. I just don't know how much longer, but at least eight weeks. Um, and do you want to move ahead? And these people were saying, you know what? So-and-so said to buy, so I really don't care about the terms. Go ahead and place the order. And we actually wrote back to them and said, listen, they need to hear it from you tell them to stop. This is not a good deal. They can buy silver rounds cheaper. They can buy silver eagles at the time cheaper. Tell them to stop buying junk silver till the terms are better, you know? Um, and they did that and people listened, you know, and, and we'll do that. We're trying to, we're not trying to gouge people. We're trying to take care of them. Right. Um, but you know, that was the, the, the state people get in that mode. And again, emotion doesn't make you money. It tends to lose you money and people that were just, I got to buy this now. So-and-so said, so no, listen to your dealer. If they're worth their weight and they ask you why you're buying, what your goals, what your objectives are, if they try to figure out what's best for you, they'll talk you into the best solution um, for you, not for them. Um, and you know, you got you to make sure you're dealing with the right people that are, have your goals and objectives to put forward. Uh, well, not their I own. agree with all of that. I guess my point was more to have a relationship in place. So when you need something like this, you already know who to go to. You've already yeah. do, done your due diligence. You already, they already know your name. You already know their name. You already have an account set up. And when you're ready to pull the trigger, you can. Because I, scrambling I at that. the last minute, I think, is not a good solution. I agree with that. And, and even as things are moving up, Mikel, you don't have to rush into anything. Okay, I, I tell people, if you're not comfortable, if you're not ready, I really don't care what the price is doing. I don't care what the margins are. If you don't understand it, if you don't feel comfortable, if you haven't asked enough questions to be one or the other, um, then don't buy yet. 
um, it'll still be there. Um, the world's not going to stop turning. That's not going to be a shortage of gold forever. Uh, and the prices aren't going to continually go up or down, you know, so be comfortable, take your time and get that relationship in place. I couldn't agree more. So let's jump in a little bit about like predictions. I know sometimes people, they don't like to talk predictions and maybe they don't want to, you know, get caught up saying one thing and, and be sensationalist. But I think predictions are fun. And I, and I think even if they don't turn out exactly the way that we expect, it should still give us a, a viewpoint going forwards. So if possible, talk to us a little bit about what you believe will happen over, say, the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay. I, my rule on predictions is you can always come up with a price. You can always come up with a time, but you never put the two of them together because then you can be held accountable. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just look at past markets and what they did. And, and, and I kind of, I know you can't guarantee it, but you can expect similar results in cyclical markets, right? So I look at the, the past gold bull market and I see really the only other one we can look at um, prior to, you know, the one that took us from 2001 to 2011 is the one from the early 70s to 1980. Um, that's, if you go back any further than that, gold was at an official price and you really can't do any sort of uh, calculations. You can't do any permutations or, or um, uh, derivations from it. So the, the bottom line is, looking back from 70 to 80, gold went from what? Uh, Forty fifty dollars an ounce up to eight fifty, right? And that was um, about a sixteen time move. Uh, that's that starting point was fabricated, if you will. It was dictated by the official price. What's more important to me is what gold did next. So it got to eight fifty an ounce uh, back in January nineteen eighty, and it fell down to about two fifty. Right, so the next bull market from 2010 till or 2001 to 2011 went from 250 an ounce up to 1900, and that's really the first bull market that went from a starting point that wasn't, I guess, uh, dictated by official price to its own point. Uh, that it achieved price wise and then retraced. So if you move back, uh, you know, it's about a third of the price is, is what it lost, a uh, third to half. And that's what we saw when gold retraced in 2011 from 1900 down to its low point of 1050, third to half. So it's about half the price it lost. Um, so now I want to say, okay, from 250 up to 1900, what is that? Okay, or from the better yet, 850 to 1900, the high point to the high point. So it's a little more than double. Um, I think we could get potentially to three to four thousand dollar an ounce gold in this bull run. Um, it's again, you were measuring things in dollars, right? And you got to think to yourself, what has happened to the dollar since the last bull market? And I will, I will submit that we have not fully uh, assimilated the currency expansion of 2008 and beyond uh, from the crisis of 2008 to 2009. We haven't assimilated that currency expansion. And then we just took that and we put it on steroids for the COVID-19. 
I think the bare minimum is you're looking anywhere from three to 4,000 is the high point this time around. And you've got some reputable research firms out there that are calling for $2,000 to $2,500 an ounce gold by the end of this year. I think they could be right. I'm not discounting a correction, like I said, in the short term, because we move to this point very, very quickly. But bull markets in gold last typically from five to 10 years, and they are significant in terms of appreciation uh, historically. So I, I think that's what you're looking at. And I think the time frame is probably within five plus years, you're going to see a new all-time high, about double what the last one was. Well, and I read something, I think it was this morning, actually, and they were saying last month, the national debt went up more in one month than it did in all of the previous year. It was something crazy. Like yeah, that. that's a little scary, isn't it? It's not so. And then when you think about the trillions of dollars that the Fed is printing out of thin air, I mean, yeah. like that has to erode the buying power. Well, and I know that we were speaking before the interview began and talking about inflation and the way that these are going to play out over the next over the next while. So I think that this is this is important stuff that people need to understand um, and where gold's position or place in this actually belongs. Uh, that's that's a very good point. I'm glad you raised it. Um, you know, I, I hear from a lot of folks, Mikkel, um, okay, they've expanded the money supply. They've put all this stimulus money out there in the hands of corporations and individuals. Um, how come we're not seeing price inflation? Um, and I, I got to tell you, just be patient. It's coming. You know, and be careful what you wish for. There, there's no way you can expand the money supply as much as the Fed has and not see the implication in the prices. The reason I think that we're not seeing it right now is because the economy is stopped. Uh, for the most part, worldwide, nothing is happening. Everything just completely stopped. Um, there's inventory that's built up. I think you're going to see deflationary pressures before you see inflationary pressures because there's inventory out there that nobody wants, nobody's buying, nobody's touching, nobody's doing anything. So the folks that produce that inventory, whether it be a product or a service or what have you, they're going to give it away initially just to get cash flow, get business, get velocity on their, their business and their money. Um, so I, I think you could see prices decrease initially. I think you'll see recessionary forces. And then what's going to happen is you're going to see stagflation. So you're going to see in a recessionary environment where prices are rising like we saw in the 70s. Um, I think that's where we're going and that's when you're really going to appreciate the purchases you made of gold uh, and silver for that matter prior, but really gold. It's a store of purchasing power. You know, I, I always go back to this. We're measuring things the wrong way. We measure gold with dollars, with euro, with yen. We should be measuring everything, tables, a can of Coke, gas in your car, yen, dollars, etc., with gold. Gold is the stable, immutable measure of value over time. These other devices, these monetary units are fluctuating 
measuring devices. So I, I tell people if I was going to measure my desk with a 12 inch ruler um, and I took the measurement today and I came up with four feet was how long that my desk was. Um, granted, I need to get a bigger desk, but let's say it's a four foot desk. And then I chop an inch off the end of it the next day and I measure it again. I'm going to get something more than four feet. Okay. It's because my measuring device is flawed and it is receding in value. Um, and that's the problem with dollars. That's a problem with yen. When you put more money into the supply, chasing the same amount of goods and services, it is going to dilute its value. Um, gold is indilutable. Okay. And that's what we should be measuring things with. Well, I remember having Ronnie Sturfelitz on my podcast before, and he was a big proponent for gold. He works out of Europe. And they, I remember him telling me they did a report, and they would actually measure things in the cost of gold. So it was like the price of a beer at Oktoberfest uh, in Munich, Germany, uh, in the price of gold. Um, uh, a Big Mac around the world in a price of gold, and be able to compare them year by year by year by year and actually see the difference that way, opposed to seeing the difference in US dollars. And I thought it was a really interesting way to, to look at things. Now, obviously, we're conditioned not to look at things in this way because governments want faith in their monetary system that they get to create and control. I think gold is one of those things that, you know, I, I would argue in a lot of ways it is a weapon. It is a, it is a defensive weapon for us to protect ourselves from out-of-control governments and their spending and the debt that they put us in. You know, so being able to compare these things um, is a really interesting way of looking at it. And it, it is a, a paradigm shift in your mind. But once you do that, um, it has great value. Yeah, no two ways about it. I just, I think it, it makes more sense. You know, it, it's, you can solve equations uh, easier the less variables that are in them, you know, and as long as you have the variable of the dollar and its worth, uh, or the yen or the euro and its worth, uh, then nothing really makes sense. Um, I don't know how else to explain it. When you, when you have a stable measure of value or worth, then things make sense. And if there's a change in value, then it's for some substantive reason, like technology has emerged and, and made it more cost effective or the, the parts that go into it, they have, you know, they found the mother load and therefore it's, you know, cheaper. You know, there's other reasons that make sense as to why something might go down or up in value. Um, but it's not because the currency is eroded. Well, and that brings up an interesting point as well, because, and, and I, I have my own opinions about this, but I, I'm curious of yours. What about to the people out there who just say, well, you know, tomorrow they could discover a new mine that has, you know, thousands of ounces or thousands of tons, rather, of, of gold in them. You know, shouldn't that just erode the, the price of gold? Yeah. I mean, if they found one, it, yeah, it would. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, people say, well, what if we got hit by a golden meteor tomorrow? Okay. You know, so that, that would change things, you know? <laughs> um, but is it potential? What's the potential of that happening? What's the probability of that happening? And it's very, very low. Um, the reality is we have such incredible technology at this point for sourcing 
metals in the earth's crust you know uh they, they can fly you know planes overhead and and you know do scans of the earth uh and and identify where the pockets are or where that's most likely to be the, the bottom line is we have picked most not all but most of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to mining gold it is not getting easier it is not anticipated to get easier, whether, you know, a surprise finding or a meteor from out of space, it is not um, probable that we're going to find the lower hanging fruit. Okay. The lower hanging fruit has been picked. Nowadays, it takes more money, more time, more ingenuity to get to the gold that's available now in lower grades typically than what they've mined in the past. So the, the equation is not getting toward gold is going to be cheaper because there's a lot of it and it's going to be more expensive because it's harder and harder to find and, and mine. Well, and add to that, first of all, I agree with you, but to add to that, uh, from my understanding, on average, when they have a, when they discover a new deposit, on average, it can take 10 years, 10 years before the mine is actually up and running and, ru and running at, at uh, production. So, I mean, prices are going to be built into that. It's not like they discover a mine tomorrow and all, and the following day, the metal starts hitting the market. It's a very good point, yeah. This is a decade-long process, yeah. you know, so that we have time to adjust to that. The price has time to move to that. Um, and I think, you know, to also to add on to what you've said, with a lot of the mines, they have a very good understanding of what is still in the ground and the cost, well, definitely, the, of course, the cost to produce it, but they, they understand how much is down there. So these are all reflected in the markets, in the price that we see and that we track. No two ways about it. No two ways about it. And, and as a good point, there's a serious lag time. So, you know, there have got to be enough profits in selling the gold you produce to put that money aside toward exploration, toward development, toward, you know, building the infrastructure around a deposit that you have now found and proven um, to be able to get it out of the ground. Um, and that's why there are different types of companies that do different things. You know, the junior miners tend to find stuff mm -hmm. and then hand it off to the big boys who then have the capacity to develop it and produce it on a regular ongoing basis. Uh, and they have lives, you know, these mines when they're found uh, of, of a certain period of years. Uh, and that's that's their producing time frame. Uh, and then they got to be looking for more. So there's got to be enough profit in there for them to do that. Uh, and, you know, when we were coming out of the doldrums where gold was down for about five years or so, um, there wasn't money there uh, for them to do exploring. So they're just starting now to see that now. So figure, and that may be why the cycles are as long as they are you know, uh, five to 10 years for, for a gold bull run because now they're putting the money in and those mines will be producing about the time when interest wanes, you know. Well, and I think that it's also really different from, say, comparing it to something like oil and gas uh, industry. You know, we had the big fracking change in technology, which just flooded the market. But we don't have in the gold industry the same type of players like we have in the oil industry. Like, we don't have a Saudi Arabia or Iran or Russia in the gold industry who can just all of a sudden increase production and just flood the market with excess gold and silver like we do in with with barrels of oil. You know, I think also the the lead time at least onshore for production is a lot 
more condensed than it is with opening a new mine. I think that also a lot of mines are in faraway places where, you know, is not the most friendly place to do business. And there's a lot of things that need to go into place before those, uh, before those open up, opposed to, for, as, as my example, the fracking industry in the United States. It's a good point. You, you really don't have that kind of dominance in any one part of the world or any one uh, country or company for gold like you see with other industries. Uh, there are some concerns uh, that you have to deal with uh, that all add up to, to more money, if you will. It could be environmental concerns, concerns about indigenous personnel, about regime changes. I think the neat thing about gold is, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, what makes gold so special in the first place? Why do we need it? And although I don't know that I know the answer to that, um, I think back to two things. Uh, one, I think of Aristotle's definition of money and the fact that gold is the only thing on earth that really meets all four criteria. It's durable, it's portable, it's divisible, and it's intrinsically valuable. That last piece is the part that usually knocks everything else off the table that wants to be used as money. The other thing that is very interesting to me is the fact that way back when, before there was internet, before there were telephones or, you know, anything to, to quickly communicate worldwide, um, gold was found all over the world roughly about the same time. And everybody that found it knew that it was special. And it was something worth coveting for whatever reason or another. Um, and they couldn't even talk to each other about it. They just saw it and they knew this was special. And that tells me that it's, you know, whether we can explain it or not, it is what it is. Gold is, is special. Well, yeah, and I don't want to get esoteric by any means. But I remember once a conversation with my wife and my daughter. So, so we used to live in the Middle East and we used to go to the golden, uh, gold souks. And, um, and I remember one time she had a Durham, she had the, the paper currency. And, and the first instinct of when you touch those, that money or your child touches the money is, you know, make sure you wash your hands. Make sure you wash your hands before you eat, you know? And that kind of brings up to, in my head, you know, like money we know is, is dirty, you know? But I remember this one time we were at, um, we were at the gold souk and we were, we were purchasing gold uh, in person. And my daughter had some, and I asked my wife what she thought, and she's like, it's beautiful. Like, like this was a beautiful bar of gold. And that kind of stuck with me because I was like, you're right, it is. It is beautiful. And like I said, I don't want to get esoteric, but there is something magical about it. There is something that I can't explain, but it has an emotional, it has a, a, I have an emotional reaction to it, and so does my wife, and so does my daughter. You know, it's so funny. I have these pictures of her holding up these giant bars of gold um, that she can barely lift, you know? Yes. But, like, she's attracted to it. Um, and I, I don't have that feeling uh, with paper money. I just, yeah. I just don't, you know? 100% agree. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So, Rich, I want to, because we've only got a few minutes left, I do want to jump into silver a little bit. I want okay. to talk, we've talked about precious metals in general, we've talked about the history, we've talked about what's happening in the economy right now, and we've talked about gold as in inflation or as a hedge in a portfolio right now. But you mentioned something very, very briefly about silver being for the growth. Let's dig into that for the next, say, five, ten minutes before we wrap up today, because I really want to get your opinion and your insight on this. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, gold is a, a smaller capitalized, or I'm sorry, silver is a smaller capitalized market than gold. Okay, so less dollars change hands in the silver market daily as they do in the gold. So what happens is once silver starts moving, um, the same amount of money spent in the silver market will have a bigger impact or the same amount of money pulled out of the silver market will have a bigger impact than it does in the gold market. So I, I mentioned earlier that gold is your leader in the precious metals complex, that it will turn from bear to bull or bull to bear first. It will establish a trend and then the other metals will tend to follow. And we've seen that play out time and time again. And uh, there's kind of a measure of this that we call the gold-silver ratio, if you will. So it's, it's the number of ounces of silver it takes to buy one ounce of gold. And typically that will move in a range from about 80 to 35 to 50, right? And when you hit 80, historically, it signifies the bottom of prices for gold and silver. When you hit 35 to 50, you tend to, to look at the highs for prices for gold and silver. So from 80, you would expect the bear market in precious metals to give way to a bull market. And at 35 to 50, you would expect a bull market to give way to a bear market. Okay, so that's just cycles and they tend to repeat, no guarantees, but you know, we've seen four or five of these cycles play out over time. And what we've seen here of late, and I think part of it is, you know, the amount of money in circulation. I think part of it is, you know, the, the steps we've taken to combat COVID-19 with just shutting down markets and everything else. But what we've actually seen lately is the, the number not be 80, which signals the, the, the bear changing to a bull, but recently it took 127 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. This is unprecedented. I don't think it's ever been seen before historically. And uh, for me, it was a screaming signal to, to maybe start buying some silver because it will eventually catch up. And guess what? That's what's been happening over the past two, two and a half months. We've seen that ratio come from 127 down to currently 94. Okay, that's Even a, 94 is incredibly It's high. still incredibly high, but to come from 127 to 94 in such a short period of time, basically since the end of March, gold is up about 7.3%. So it's still moving up, but silver is up 38% in that period of time. So the reason we see that profit potential in silver in a bull market is because silver overdoes it both directions. So when we came back from the bull market where silver hit $50 an ounce in 2011, it plummeted down to a point where the low point I want to say was about 1383. Okay. Gold on the other hand came from 1923 an ounce, $1,923 down to a low point 1050. So silver fell further and it is expected in a bull market to outpace gold to the upside. An example of that is the last bull market, 2001, 2011. Gold appreciated in 10 years, 650%. Very significant, very meaningful. Silver appreciated 1,000% over that 10-year period. 
okay? So silver falls further and it tends to go higher. So silver's been lagging, but it's starting to wake up. Somebody poked the tiger, right? Um, and I think if you're looking for growth, silver is a great opportunity here because we've gone up, what, 38%, um, you know, and last bull market was 1,000. Wow, a 10 banger. That's insane. Yeah. I remember the run-up. I was in mostly in the equities market and uh, trading stocks and not so much bonds, but mostly stocks uh, and mining companies at that time and got in a little bit late, but did see some nice profits on that. I think one of the other interesting parts about silver is the use cases, because my understanding of gold is basically every gold or as much gold was ever mined is still in circulation right now, whether that's in the form of jewelry or bars or anything else. Very little of it is actually consumed. But in the silver market, that's not really the case. As technology moves forwards, they find more and more uses for silver. So the silver is actually being depleted. Um, do you think that that trend will continue? What, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? I do think that trend will continue. There's no two ways about it. Um, it. You know, gold is not used up. You make a good point. It's out there in circulation, but it's rare. And it does have some industrial applications, but very few comparatively. It's mainly money with just a little hint of industrial usage. Um, silver, on the other hand, is primarily industrial, but it's used for money as well. Okay, so it's got a little bit different dynamic to it. Um, you know, everything from antibacterial coating to, you know, the, the new clothing that keeps you warm in the, in the cool weather and keeps you hot in the cool weather and whisks away body odor. I mean, the, the colloidal silver um, for, for medical uses, uh, circuitry, conductivity, batteries, I mean, you just name it. Silver's got applications and they keep finding more. It's, it's an amazing product. And the, the, the other part of that is when it's used in these industrial applications at, what are we at, $19 an ounce, it is not worth it. When something is used up and thrown away, it's not worth it to salvage that, right? There's not enough money in it in the scrap business to pull all that out of the landfills and everything else. So, you know, whereas somebody will go hunting gold and, and extract it, they're not going to go after silver. They'll just mine new silver and use that. Um, it's just not cost effective. So you make a good point. It's, it's being used up. Uh, there's still plenty of it out there. We're not short on silver, but above ground supplies are diminishing. Because I remember reading and I, and don't quote me on the numbers, everyone. I do encourage you to look up this up yourself, but I believe the gold, the industrial usage was only 2%. Two to three percent, if my memory serves me correctly. So that means ninety-seven to ninety-eight percent of it is still going to be used for money and jewelry and and things that we can uh, use as a medium of exchange. But silver is something like seventy percent. So meaning thirty percent of it is being used up in industrial things, in electronics, all the things that Rich you just mentioned. Um, that is a massive difference. Like when you think of percentage-wise, this is such a massive difference. Yeah, and one other thing to throw in there on silver, it's it's um, inelastic supply, all right? So um, what that means is if you need more silver, you don't just go out and mine silver. Silver is primarily found as a byproduct of other mining. So unless you need that other element, you're not going to get any more silver no matter how much you want it. 
Well, and then add to that that silver has to be at an attractive price for them to actually refine it um, at a certain price so that when they're mining for, say, rare earth metals or <laughs> palladium or something and Nickel, other yep. things like that, it actually has to be worthwhile for them to separate it, to ship it, to refine it, to all of these types of things. We do need to see a certain price. Um, otherwise, we won't be flooded with that extra metal. Nobody's going to mine it and lose money or, or mine it for free. So Exactly. Well, super interesting. So your advice is to use gold as a hedge, as an inflation. If you're looking for the growth to use something like silver in your portfolio, any comments or, or, any comments or uh, insights on some of the other precious metals that kind of get overlooked, platinum, palladium, uh, things like this? Just real well, quick before we yeah, go. Yeah, real quick. Um, and, you know, I mixed feelings on platinum and palladium. They're both uh, industrial metals as well. And that's why I think they, they haven't responded as well as gold and silver have initially or uh, as silver has recently, uh, just because the economies aren't moving again. So as long as the prognosis for industry is weak, uh, you'll see the industrial uh, metals lag, uh, the monetary metals. Um, Palladium has had a very good run. I remember when it was just a fraction of the of the cost of an ounce of platinum, uh, and you knew that people would substitute or industries would substitute palladium where they could to save money versus buying platinum. Well, now the tables have completely reversed, and I think we're nearing the point where you're going to see uh, people uh, substituting platinum, low cost platinum for palladium. Uh, you know, and save, you know, less than, uh, you know, half the cost to, to, for the same ounce. Um, and I don't know when exactly that's going to occur, if it will occur or not, but it sure looks like it's setting up to do the same type of thing. So I think there's a great opportunity in platinum versus palladium at this point, but they're both mm -hmm. going to suffer as long as industry suffers. Super interesting. Rich, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I certainly learned a lot and I always appreciate your insights on what's happening in the world and, and how to look at uh, the precious metals industries. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, where can we send them? Well, just for general information, they can go to our website. Uh, so it's uh, asset, A-S-S-E-T, strategies, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S.com. Uh, what www.assetstrategies.com. They can call us. Obviously, we love that. Um, share our information with them. Uh, find out what their needs are. So that's 800-831-0007. One zero better than James Bond. He's just 007. Um, and then uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to, to, to get your questions. Uh, my email address is rchecken, C-H-E-C-K, a and is in November at assetstrategies.com. Uh, love to hear from you, answer any questions, help you make some decisions. And I can assure you when you call in here, our folks are going to ask you what you're looking to accomplish um, and help you accomplish that goal. We know our business. If you know where you want to get to, we can help you get there. Perfect. I love it. And the last uh, shameless plug from my side is if you want to hear about more of what Rich does, make sure you subscribe to Escape Artist Insiders, where Rich is my gold columnist. And every month he's going to be sharing some of the insights of what is happening in the market. So you can stay abreast with all of that. And you can pick up your subscription at escapeartist.store. 
Escape artist. We'll say, Mikkel, if uh, if the listeners haven't visited your uh, first publication, your inaugural publication, they are missing out. Uh, it was a fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic piece, um, and I think if that's the an indication of what's to come, I think they're going to be very, very excited. Well, you're very kind. Thank you very much, Rich, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, sir. All right. Thanks, Mikkel. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.